Thank you, Jesus. I hope I hold it together a little better this time. <laughs> um, when Pastor CJ asked me last Sunday, um, I said, can I get back to you on that? <laughs> you know, because right away I thought, oh, I have to tell my whole biography. And then, I don't know, I got to thinking the court definition of testimony is to tell what you've seen and experienced. They don't want anything more than that. And I thought, the Lord helped me know I wanted to share how I've heard him speak into my life. <clears throat> um, my parents were evangelical missionaries to Thailand. So I grew up in MK, a missionary's kid. And um, I didn't know what all was going <laughs> to unfold. <laughs> Um, I remember asking Jesus into my life when I was five, and um, he, he was faithful in teaching me, thank you, his truths even then, and I loved hear, hearing the, um, Bible stories, the stories of Jesus and of the believers <laughs> in the book of Acts. I loved the, the stories from the Old Testament. <laughs> and I really longed to hear the voice of God the way little Samuel did. <laughs> but the teaching that I got said that was back then, <laughs> and when I had more questions, it was sort of like, well, that was to encourage the new church in the book of Acts, you know, and I kind of thought, well, yay, I'm glad they had it, but I'd like it too, <laughs> you know. Um, I remember just kind of learning not to ask what kept being the wrong questions, and um, just kept my longing to know <coughs> Jesus more <laughs> to myself. And I knew it was had to be more than just get saved, stay true and obedient to the Bible, tell others about Jesus, and eventually you'll get to be with him in heaven. You know, I just knew it had to be more than that. <laughs> and um, when I found out later I wasn't being taught about the role of the Holy Spirit in our life. And that he said, I won't leave you comfortless. And uh, that was, it means in the Greek, I won't leave you orphans. And I experienced it pretty much of a life of an orphan growing up in a boarding school. <laughs> yeah, I knew I, I had parents, but they weren't with me. And uh, I would be so ministered to by the, psalm, the verse in the Psalms, you know, when the, your mother and father forsake you, then the Lord will take you up. And then I didn't know what to do with it because I didn't think my mother and dad had forsaken me. <laughs> So, you know, it's just a lot of confusion as a child and wanting to know. But 
I remember every so often I would encounter people that Jesus was so real. And I didn't know it was because they had been filled by his spirit and the love of Jesus. And uh, I just knew whatever that was, I wanted it. And it was, you know, I attended an evangelical college, you know, got my teacher training. Um, but I kept encountering some of the, my classmates as well as other people. You know, it's like, wow, Jesus is so real to you. I love him, but I don't know him in that kind of inner reality. So anyway, years later, I remembered at the end of a small group Bible study, um, we were encouraged by the leader to um, share something that had blessed us, you know, in the Bible study. And as this one girl shared, I was stunned. I distinctly recognized it was her talking, but it wasn't her talking. It was Jesus. Um, it was coming from the Holy Spirit in her. Well, I went home and I prayed and I just laid it out. And I said, Jesus, in John 10, 3, you say, my sheep hear my voice and you call your sheep by name. I said, Jesus, I don't think I've heard your voice. Would you let me hear your voice? Well, a few days later, sometimes you have to wait, you know, and that's okay. I was brushing my teeth, and I suddenly heard his voice from deep inside me. He said, Miriam, You've been wondering about this situation at work. And then he told me what I needed to do differently. I was blown away. He called me by my name. And he talked to me. And he helped me with a problem in my workday world. Well, since then I've been taught about the Holy Spirit, been filled by him. He's given me his prayer language, and I, I try to remember to just pray during the day. A lot of times I don't even know what to pray, so I just switch into that, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's like I, I hear him talk in different ways, and I'm just sharing how I've experienced him. Um, because he, he meets our needs according to who you are, and you can count on that. Um, but one of the ways I hear him is when I'm kind of doing something monotonous, you know, like brushing my teeth or driving my car, I apologize. <laughs> you know, the commute to work, you know, I kind of would zone out. I mean, I was following traffic in that, but in, her, in my mind, I was like quieting. And um, I would suddenly realize I was hearing a phrase over and over again. I remember one time specifically, 
I was hearing, take no thought, take no thought, take no thought. And it was like, oh, he's talking to me, you know, it was the reality of that. And, and then it was sort of like, oh, you know, this is from Matthew 6.34 where we're to take no thought about tomorrow's worries. And uh, what I realized how my thoughts were very negative. They, I was taking hold of them and um, worried. And I knew he was showing me, take no thought, Miriam. Don't take these thoughts. Just say, no thanks. And instead, ask the Holy Spirit for his thought on the matter. Or just focus on a new thought, like tell him thank you for something. So it's my practice to just watch and wait to hear him and talk to him through my day. It's kind of like being a waitress. You know, you wait tables, you wait on God. You're watching to please your customer to serve. And they'll catch your eye. And that's the way Jesus is. He'll catch your eye. He'll catch your heart. He'll catch your ear. And... As I spend time reading in the Word, many times something will just jump out at me. That's the Holy Spirit talking. And sometimes I hear him just through a friend's conversation. Often it's just through those sweet surprises that pop up in your day. Like just a couple days ago, I happened to look out my front window and it was like a daffodil. I'd always be, for, I'd forget to plant them in the fall, but here was a little volunteer. And it was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so there's times when I'm not feeling Jesus close by. I speak his truth to myself. He promises he will never leave me. So during these times that he seems far away, I just thank him for who he is and for his kindnesses in my life. <laughs> <clears throat> I ask him for his peace when I don't know what to do or things seem unclear. And a lot of times I still don't know what to do, but oh, to know it, to have, feel his peace is just, there's nothing like it. He really quiets you. So this is a bit of my testimony. It's what I've seen and experienced. And it's what the Holy Spirit has made real in my life every day. It's Jesus' love for me, and it's for real. Thank you, Sister Miriam. And uh, it's just a great, uh, great opening and great um, testimony uh, to what God has for us for the whole uh, experience today from the worship and what we sang to her testimony and then uh, picking up where we left off week before last in this series the six superpowers of the supernatural church remember we're talking about that that the church there's a lot of church strategy out there yeah i see these things six things that kill a church seven things that pastors should do ten things every church should do but the truth is that if the power of god is interacting in people's lives in that body of believers People will come, not just to the church, but they'll come in contact with those believers and their lives will be changed. So we started with another superpower, which is service, serving. Miriam mentioned uh, waitress. 
that serving idea. And uh, some might think, how is that a superpower? How is that supernatural? We're going to pick up where we left off. If you remember, we're talking about in 2 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6. Um, we're going to spend most of our time in chapter 6. Now, I know I talk fast, but I really believe God's got, uh, got a message for us today that I need to complete. And so hang with me, and we're going to try to do our best to finish as much on time as we can. Paul. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church. And if you'll remember, the Corinthians have some false teachers, some false prophets. They come in and they start teaching something other than what the gospel is. And they're basically pointing to Paul as he's wrong and we're right. And Paul has made four attempts through letters to try to not just prove them wrong. It's more of reconciliation. We are to all be ambassadors of Christ working together. He uses that term ambassador and it's really meant not like ambassadors for today because we have ambassadors that go meet with other ambassadors at the United Nations and somehow through all that, that's supposed to make us safer and better, right? I don't think they accomplish a whole lot, but, um, you know, I'm not there. But in Jesus' time, in, in the time of the Roman occupation over, over the children of God and over other uh, nations, they had ambassadors that would go to Caesar and try to negotiate some kind of favor with him over trade or whatever it was. So that's what ambassador did there. Well, Paul, talking about Jesus as the true ambassador of God, here it's all backwards. You have the superpower, God. Uh, not, not Caesar, but God sending his son as an ambassador to the lowly people, us, right? The Gentiles, the Jews and Gentiles, trying to, trying to create some kind of favor, bring us back into relationship. God doesn't need our favor. He wants us to have favor with him. So it's a total reversal. So Paul in his letter is trying to, to defend the faith and himself really by this letter that has three parts to it. So that first message, we talked about the first part, which is the call of the ambassador. Many of us have roadblocks to our call as ambassadors. And so when Paul, we looked at that last time as a recap, what we looked at is that Paul spelled out several of those roadblocks, if you will. Um, you know, he, we mentioned uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, which therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, and then 2 Corinthians 5.20 also goes on, God making his appeal through us. So he, he's uh, got, making his appeal for that favor through us. But Paul talks about three things that really cause us problems in our call. Not three things, but of the three things in his letter, the call, it's one is don't put it off. It took me 20 years from my call in ministry till I walked in uh, and started fulfilling that call because I ran from my call and all other kinds of things. Don't put it off. God has been speaking to your heart at different times, whether in this church or in others, that you're to be more engaged and involved in service and you put it off. Next thing is don't frustrate God's work by showing up late. Did you know punctuality is actually uh, can, can cause you to sin? The lack of? Uh, you know, Sam Walton said, I mentioned this before, if uh, on time is late and early is on time, you show people your engagement in any particular thing by how you respond and how you show up. First service, we had uh, Zach, he's in football, right? If Zach was here, he'd probably say, hey, if you show up just barely on time for practice every time, what does that say to your team? You know, I've just got just enough time for you guys, right? Same thing in ministry, our calling. When we show up late or we have this mentality, uh, how long do we have to be here to do this thing, Pastor? Uh, how much time is this going to require of me instead of 
how much do I get to do this? It it's all uh, speaks of where her heart is at. And then here's another thing. Dissension in the church. Throwing a question mark on everything we do. Why do we minister to the jails? I mean, why the people in jail? I mean, they're there and, you know, they'll get out. They can come to church. Why do we do, why do, we do this? Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Like that I mentioned uh, in first service, the deal we did last September to the community. It's funny. No one who did that deal has been saying, Pastor, we really need to do that huge uh, outreach to the community again. Now, and that's no hit on anybody. We were tired. It was hard, right? But, but it's, it's this why, throwing a question mark at everything we do instead of saying, you know what? I'm not perfect. The church is not perfect. The people in the church are not perfect. But we're in this together, and we're going to walk that path together, and we're going to work it out through Christ as we go. And then, lastly, one of the problems to the call as an ambassador is please don't squander the scripture said, please don't squander one bit of this marvelous life God has given us. In other words, how many of you have gone from one church to the other and you can't quite find your place, but God has placed you there and he's saying there are opportunities for you to, to minister and to find fulfillment in that and you squander that opportunity by just coming for entertainment, coming to be pacified, coming to feel like you're fulfilling your duty as a Christian to sit in a pew. God has not asked us to do that. He's asked us to go beyond that. So those are the things. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late. In other words, don't just come at half haphazard. Uh, throwing question marks over everything and then don't squander the call. So that was that first message in a recap for those of you who weren't here. The call. Now part two. We're looking at the credentials. Paul literally, if you want to think about it in terms of today, Paul pulls out his briefcase, shuffles through his papers and finds his resume. And he basically submits his resume to these false teachers in the Corinthians to say, here's who I am, and here's my proof and my credentials of why um, I, I've been proven in ministry. Now, that's not an arrogant thing Paul's doing. It's actually uh, something that, you know, in my time at Walmart, my last year, I, I uh, can help conduct probably 110 or more interviews in a year. And through that time, I have a lot of resumes submitted. And it was very quick to find out, I may not be an expert on resumes, but when you see 110 of them, you start to know what a good one looks like and what a bad one looks like. You start to know what catches your attention, and anybody that's just a normal person like me, what's going to catch my attention? And I've seen people who have gone to a school of business, a four-year business college, and come out and have a horrible resume. And I've seen a young man that came and applied, it was his first real job, as he said it, and his resume I still use as an example to help others with. It was incredible. And he said, well, I just borrowed it offline and changed it to my information. You know, so, so Paul is submitting his resume, and that's where we pick up today. All right, now I'm going to take a breath. There's our recap. See, these false teachers, they've come to discredit Paul. And so what Paul does, he opens his briefcase, as I said, he, he gives his credentials, and he lists... He lists some things that fall into three categories. And there's so much here we could spend a long series on just this message, breaking it out. So I'm not going to do this because he lists nine hardships he endured for the cause of the gospel, part of his credentials. He also lists, uh, second, he listed nine qualities that he possesses himself as a minister. And then third, he lists nine contrasts and comparisons that are part of not only his ministry that could apply to any ministry, even new song. 
So la- rather than looking at each one and defining them and dissecting them, I'd rather just share with you some ob- observations from a few of those regarding the ministry God has called us to do here at New Song. Paul gives it to us pretty straight. Uh, he, he doesn't really pull any punches. The very first thing he mentions is being an ambassador for Jesus will require sacrifice. Being an ambassador for Jesus will require sacrifice. That to serve others is not only going to be with is not going to be without cost to you. It's not going to be without cost to me. This isn't about a pastor or someone in position at a church. This is literally that it's going to cost each one of us in sacrifice to follow him. Now that's not very encouraging, is it? Especially for anybody that's a new believer or a recent believer here. Hey, wait a minute. You're telling me that you guys uh, told me about how good Jesus is and now I got to worry about uh, sacrifice. There is a sacrifice that happens. And there's challenges along the way. That's the truth of the matter. But it's all well, well worth it. One of the things Paul lists here as a sacrifice could be hunger. Maybe not that you're in some third world country where because of your belief in Christ you're not getting your rations. But it might be that you're fasting. Uh, because you know at this ministry that, that uh, we minister to people who are under bondage, uh, maybe addiction. And so you're, you're uh, consistently fasting and praying. Because the scripture says some things only come out by fasting and praying. Why does that relative of mine or that relative of that church members, they keep falling back into that same sin? Well, maybe we aren't spending the time and sacrifice in fasting to see that situation change. So you may lose out on some food, be hungry for the sake of prayer. I think back again, that back to church Sunday event I mentioned in September. I jokingly say, nobody is really saying, hey, let's do that again. Not because those folks aren't all about service, because they kicked it in, but remember how tired we were. Danny, I used the young adults, for example, in first service. So again, you guys were going to get tickets or had tickets to uh, Tim Hawkins, a Christian comedian, for that evening. And I said, are you sure you guys are going to fill up to that? After all day, we're having the whole community come out. We're wanting to feed as many people as we can. We had 700 and some pounds of chicken about 30 racks of ribs, a whole bunch of food, a bunch of burgers. We we're trying to raise missions money and uh, for the Speed the Light missions. And These guys, you didn't end up going, did you? It was, it was, we were exhausted. There was sacrifice. You may find that not just hunger, but there may be times of exhaustion. But, you know, we saw great things happen that day. People got saved, didn't they? We even had someone who was very influential in the community that raised their hand to accept the Lord in that outdoor at outdoor meeting. We raised $1,500 for Speed the Light that's going to buy vehicles and equipment for missionaries. And we saw those things because we stepped out in faith to serve, not knowing whether we could really complete it or not, but trusting in God. And He was faithful and He helped us do it. And we saw amazing things and increased our faith. So we all shared in that sacrifice. We were willing to pray or, or to serve tirelessly. So ministry will require you to sacrifice. You may never step foot on the continent of Africa or in China or in Brazil or Ireland or or anywhere uh, outside of the United States to minister. But when you sacrifice and you're giving to missions like the 555 program we have, then you are putting feet on the ground by supporting those missionaries. But often it's a sacrifice. There's times, again, fatigue. 
We might be up all night praying with people or staying by the phone, uh, somebody that's going through crisis. Um, last night as we got a call about someone in dire need of prayer, you know, um, it's not a second thought anymore to say, can I come to the hospital? Can I come pray with you? That might be all night before Sunday you're preaching. That might be all night before Monday morning you're going to work and, and running the machinery you shouldn't do when you're tired, right? But God gives you the strength. Those are the things that we don't, you don't give a second thought to because you know God is there to help you and ministry does require sacrifice. But it also brings a lot of joy in that sacrifice. When, you're, when you love people, you're going to care for people. Gonna, there's going to be sacrifice, but when you love them, there are going to be times when you're going to set aside your personal preferences and what your flesh might want to do because you made a commitment and you understand there are people that are counting on you. Listen, if you wait till, uh, till you find something to do in ministry where it's all fun, fun, you're going to sit in that pew the rest of your life always wondering why God will not show you what you're supposed to do. If you don't come into it knowing there's going to be sacrifice, uh, everybody can go run from place to place trying to get the fuzzy doodads because they've got something going, good going on at that ministry or this ministry. And we can be consumers where we just hop place to place trying to get our fix. But you know what? We'll lead lives of loneliness and we'll never tell anybody that we're lonely. We'll keep searching for deep relationships in, in ministries and in people in churches, but we'll never really be able to tell people, I'm lonely. We, ha we have to put on this facade that we're super spiritual because we've, we've, we've got Jesus, right? But the way he designed us was to get into deep relationship and to toe the line and to work hard with each other for the sake of Christ, even at the point of sacrifice. Listen, I've been there. I've seen as God, I'm not saying I'm all mature as a Christian, but as certain things have matured in my life, even before I was pastor, we, we even told Pastor Jim when he started a new song, I'm sorry, we can't leave the church we're at because we're committed there. We'll give money, we'll do whatever, but we can't come there. It was only when God shook us up and said, no, you're going. We had to call him and say, hey, wait, we got it wrong. We're supposed to come. And I'm going to tell you a little, a little known truth, and I don't mean to seem disrespect to where we're at, but actually I was very miserable where we're at. It wasn't the people. I feel like I was driving up spiritually. And I felt like I couldn't serve the pastor there like I wanted to serve. I had a desire in me and he didn't know what to do with me. And I'd ask him if I could do stuff and he didn't know what to do with me. And it was just frustrating. And so we actually stayed there and said we aren't going to come to New Song even though that was my youth pastor. And we were excited because he was awesome. And we thought New Song was going to be awesome. But we're going to stay because we committed. Even if it's a sacrifice until God releases us. Some of us need to learn that in our walk of faith. A little bit of maturity. It is stay where God has planted you and don't feel like because it's not all fun and games and it's not always great and st spectacular in the flash that, that that must mean I'm supposed to go somewhere else. Wait on God until his voice is so clear that you know it. Then you can go with confidence saying, I'm leaving here with the blessing of God. If that pastor's mature enough, he'll give his blessing too and recognize it and you'll go on your way and you'll serve with greatness. But you'll stay immature like a little child if you keep waiting that it's going to all be fun and games. There are sacrifices. Second on Paul's list is we are as important, who we are is as important as what we say. Who we are is as important as what we say. You know, there's a saying that was floating around that, uh, years back and it was pretty popular. I heard it in a lot of church culture. Uh, supposedly it was a quote by St. Francis of Assisi. I'm not really sure he said it. But either way, I'm kind of glad it's dying down. But I heard this, and a lot of Christians, uh, evangelicals, were quoting it like it was some great truth. Preach the gospel always. When necessary, use words. 
Preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. And I have to say, I'm in agreement with a few of my mentors when I say that's the dumbest statement in the whole world. And I don't mean disrespect to him. I'm not even sure he said it. But you can't preach the gospel without words. And that is not just a role of a pastor. I mean, the Bible is words. God's, God, the word of God, the gospel is declared through words. And it's, it's not an either or. I'm either someone who can orate, orate. I, I'm a good orator of the Word of God, or I'm a good walker of the faith. It's not an either or, it's a both and. It's a both and. See, there's some things that happened in the 90s and into the, the early 2000s and the seeker-friendly movement that begin to agree with this and say, you know what, if we have mostly a church that's just do-gooders, that just walk the walk, but they don't necessarily preach the, they don't really preach the Word, then we're all good. That's hogwash compared. If you read God's word, you know we've got greater responsibility. We're all to preach the word. We're to make disciples. You don't do that by just walking the walk because guess what? New believers want explanations. That only goes so far and they're like, I need to know why you do what you do. The idea that just somehow living a life uh, is enough of a message is a lie from the enemy. It's not good uh, to preach a message and not live it either. But it's also not good to live it and not preach it. People have to hear. How will they believe unless they hear? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. People have to hear the Word of God to believe the Word. But you have to say the words. You also have to live the Word. Unless your message be undone by your life. And some people experience that. Christian who preaches grace, but then they live a legalistic life where they look down their nose at everyone who doesn't live like they do. They're undoing their testimony. Bit by bit, every harsh word, every harsh social media post, every good old buddy sh- bumping the shoulder when, when something's said negative towards unbelievers, it's undone. So Paul goes through and gives a series of characteristics that would be part of the ambassador's life. This is part of his credentials. Uh, we're looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses 6 and 7. And I'm going to pick this apart line by line. Starting in verse 6, we prove ourselves. We prove ourselves. In other words, it's not just what we say, but how we live. And how you live makes a difference. There's this word called character in which your conduct makes a difference. Paul says, prove ourselves by our purity. There's much to be said uh, to the contemporary church uh, related to this. So we're not talking about legalism, but I'm saying that when, the place, when we place greater priority on being culturally relevant in reference to walking in purity, something is lost to the church and it's lost to our lives individually. What I mean is, if you can't love the sinner and hate the sin and project that, If your hang-up is about homosexuality, if you can't love those who are caught up in that sin and have the expectations on them that they they might be they are unbelievers living as unbelievers and will react that way, but you can't love them anyway, then you got a problem. You've got a problem because something is lost to the church, and it's not just you as an island to yourself. Well, pastor, that's just my beliefs. I'm sorry, I'm pretty set in them. Well, guess what? Everybody you come into. When you take that stance, that defiant stance, first of all, rebellion is the closest you'll ever be to acting like Satan. Second is, you are damaging the kingdom and that body and the minister that leads that body. 
you are causing damage. You're causing sleepless nights for your pastor because I want us all to be projecting Christ. I'm not asking us to act different than where we're at. If you have struggles, I'm saying when we, when we set in our ways and say I cannot even give those people the time of day, those sinners, we are nothing more than a Pharisee in current daytime, and we are pulling the, the pillars of the church, trying to pull them down ourselves. It goes on, we prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us. So when people are around you, do they say, I feel God's presence when I'm around you? I feel the Holy Spirit when I'm around you. You know, that's something for us to strive. The Holy Spirit is so evident in us that people feel it all around us. And then by our sincere love. This takes sincerity. You can't play the part. You have to be the part. I think of that verse in Ephesians chapter 5 where it talks about mostly what God does to love us. See, He didn't come to love us to get something from us because He doesn't need anything from us. He wants relationship, but He doesn't need it. He came to give us love, to give us everything that we need. So in turn, he wants us to emulate that by when we love others, love them unconditionally, that we're not loving them to get something from them, but loving to give them everything Christ has done in us. That gets really hard. Because here's the thing that is naturally in our, our sinful nature. It's, I don't know if this is appropriate terminology, I grew up hearing it tit for tat, right? It's basically, if you do something for me as a brother in Christ, and I do something for you, that's how that works. If you will be kind to me, then I'm kind to you. But if you stop being kind to me, then I withhold my kindness. But that's not Christ's way as Christ's ambassador. It's actually, in the face of any adversity we have, I will keep loving you, Danny, you know how much you heckle me on the front row, and pray that one day God delivers you from this bondage that you have of choosing this chair for the sake of heckling the pastor, where people don't often hear it, but I hear everything. This has been years going on. It's okay. And he did it to the previous pastors. I was here. It's okay. But being sincere. So we're loving people, not for what we can get from them, but what we can give to them. If you can get that straight and you can keep on that path, and this is my goal, I will quit trying to expect things from people, but I'm going to live it for Christ, and I'm doing it for them for Christ, it will revolutionize your walk. You'll set, be set free. If you were here a few years ago, you'd know I came up on a Wednesday night with a little sticky pad with about two sentences for my notes. Where Normally, if you saw this, it'd scare you. There's like 22 pages at 16 font. You know, So sticky note. We'd been up all night, and Jen and I, God, just tore me apart, and I just thought it was going to be like every, every day after that would be that kind of amazing. But I'm like, I'm taking away my expectations of you as a wife. You're God's child, not mine. And I set you free because I expect too much out of you. And, and you do way more than I could even expect anyway. So it's just a vicious cycle of me trying to come up with new expectations because I'm trying to get something out of a relationship when really it should be between me and God and me giving out of my relationship with God to my wife. And then it needed to overflow to the church. Some of us are brokenhearted because we keep putting expectations on others that we can't uphold ourselves. We want other people to be better to us than we can be, better, than we can be to them. It goes on. Uh, God's power is working in us. And listen, if you're here Wednesday night, we talked about spiritual warfare. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and the left hand for defense. Keep the, keep the one hand up here, guard the jaw, other hand out there for jabbing. This is spiritual warfare. This is telling you how to battle. 
It's telling you how to battle in the Spirit. All I'm saying is it's us being all in. So I'm using the Word of God as a sword of the Spirit to fight the powers of darkness. So Paul is saying these are all parts of my life. The third thing we know about the ambassador is God is helping us. This you ought to rejoice for. This means it's not all up to you to have the power to do it. It's not your power, it's His. God is helping us. And I love the way Paul includes this not once but twice. Like he's trying to say, look, this is important. I'm going to repeat it so you get it. To say that the world is watching, listen, the world is watching you as a Christian and they're expecting you to show all the graces of God. How's that set? Is there anyone here that can raise their hand and say, I'm, I'm, right now I can do that. I can show all the graces of God. Anybody that sees me out, outside of church, they're going to see all the grace of God 100% of the time. Well, listen, if, if you think that, then you're lying to yourself because none of us can. None of us could do it if we were not, not for the help of the Holy Spirit living in us, working through us, refining us, purifying us, empowering us. So we can't really state that we can do that because it depends on the Holy Spirit to do it through us. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, kind of backtracking a little, by the Holy Spirit within us, God's power. God's power. God's power is working in us. So God's power is helping us like the bionic man, the $6 million man. Some of you are too young to remember that. My heart is damaged, and God inserts his heart, and it begins to pump with supernatural power. And, and my legs are weak. I was born with a muscle disease, we find out now. And I, I'm a miracle walking. They're actually sending me to Little Rock, but I found out the reason they kept testing me is they were afraid they look like look stupid when they sent me up there because there's no way I should be walking around functioning like I do with the way my tests are showing. And, and the neurologist is saying, I don't want them to think I'm stupid, but when you walk in there, they're going to say, that's no way is that the same patient as these readouts. You see, God is doing things that we take for granted. You take for granted that I'm standing up here walking around for several hours on Sundays and, and don't realize that it's a miracle, a medical miracle. Here's another thing Paul lets us know as you look at this list of credentials. No matter how nice you are, not everyone's going to like you. How many, how many do Facebook regularly? Come on, it's okay to admit it. You're not going to get hammered. You're not gonna, come on, put it up higher. Christina, I'm going to keep going until you put it up higher. <laughs> she like, she did that, just so nobody behind her. There's only like four people behind you, so you're okay. How many have ever put a post on Facebook, and after a few days you saw it only had one like or a couple likes, so you deleted it? Okay, so I'm only one that needs helping here. <laughs> I'm like, if nobody really liked that, then that's no point of saying it, right? You know, there's this saying innate, innate in us that look, seeks approval from man. And so this whole social media thing really feeds this because there's literally scientific research and proof now that that like thing is not just a neat little feature. It's very strategic because it feeds something in you like a drug that you want. It's that approval of other people. And the more likes, right, that's the whole goal. Why is there a little number counter? And so here's the thing that we need to realize in ministry no matter how nice you are, no matter how popular you may think you are, not everyone is going to like you when you serve Christ. You know, I'll be honest, this room is filled with honestly some of the nicest people I've ever met in my life. First service too, this church, people that are missing today, uh, they're out of town. It's some of the nicest people I've ever been around in my life. 
There may be a few cranks. I'm kidding. Come on, I don't, I don't know what all happens outside of the church. Some of you may be cranks out in public, I don't know. But as far as what I know, uh, everybody's really nice. It's a great group of people. But you know what? No matter how nice you are, uh, no matter how spirit-filled you are, no matter how kind you are, and no matter how self-sacrificing you are, there are going to be people who are not going to like you, and some of you know exactly what we're talking about. I get it when someone says, you know, and I did this to one of my previous pastors when he came from James River, 10,000 people, to my dad's old church with a different guy leading it. Oh, you know what you should try? James River used to do this. You know what you should do? James River did this. Oh, you should have seen it when we were there. James River did this. Now, nothing wrong with that to extent because there, that was a church I saw people saved, baptized, plugged in, discipled, and it's still doing it today. It's bigger, it's greater, and it's not just robbing people from other works they are truly discipling people. Love that church. But I did a disservice to that young pastor who I was trying to support. No wonder he didn't know what to do with me. Because when you're a guy in the trenches and you don't have those resources and God's not grown you to be a Pastor Lindell of James River and you're where you're at and you're reading books to gain knowledge and letting the Lord use that, you're doing everything you know, sometimes things are out of your control because you depend on other people to step in and help you and some of those people aren't getting it yet. And so... I was coming and telling him to do something there's no possible way he could do because it required people to do it. James River does the things they do at the, at the extent they do because there's people back when there are 50 people in a storefront, uh, not that many, de- not more than maybe a couple decades ago or less, and they went from 50 to 13 or 14,000 now, that they do the things they do because somewhere along the way people decide, you know what, I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to serve because I see that God is doing something so- here. And Pastor Lindell says the same thing about this church, that church that I say about this church. I was worried about messing it up when they asked me about being pastor here, Pastor Roger, because God was moving so greatly, I was afraid I'd mess it up. And I'm still afraid of that today. You see, this doesn't happen just because you've got some great personality as a leader. If Pastor Lindell was afraid of back then, do you think he has operating at the quality and, the, and what he does now back then? I guess not, because he had never pastored a church of that size, right? Here's the thing. No matter what you do, there are going to be people who come, will try to discourage you, will tell you you're not doing it right, will try to make suggestions in, in good nature, but in a, in a way, they're pretty much sliding the fact that you're just, you're just not there where they think you should be yet. And this is a very interesting list, because Paul is not some snake oil salesman who says, you know, today's the day, God's favor, man, and it's going to be easy and breezy. Let's go catch some waves. Right? Maybe we need to have a surfer Bible translation for this part. No matter how nice you are, how spirit-filled you are, how kind you are, it's just not going to be easy breezy. It's like, hey man, let's go down and... Okay, i got to stop that. All I can think of right now is Keanu Reeves anyway. So Paul says, listen, here's the way it works. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8 and 9, the first partial sentence there we serve god whether people honor us or despise us god spoke in my heart where new songs going i know it clearly and the only time i get confused is when i listen to the talking voices that are trying to change direction it's taken me five years now to figure that out people come and go from all kinds of works and all kinds of things and there are great suggestions some of them we follow then it's been a god thing and i don't ever want to crush people's uh, willingness to get in there and put their put their two cents in, right? 
or the 100,000. You never know where it's leading. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about the wealth of knowledge that somebody might bring. But I'm also not going to go from one thing to another. I did that first, and it's confusing. It's confusing for everybody that's here for eight or nine years, right? Sit in the seat when the pastor's like, we're going to go this direction because someone came along that seemed like they had a great idea, and they just seemed really spirit-filled and holy, and man, they got together. They've been doing it better for me for a long time, so let's just go that direction. And it gets confusing, right? Because we get to know what the DNA is, what God's created a new song to do. And we may not be doing it all now, but we know where it's headed. Or we at least believe that God is doing something. We see it and evidence of it. And when we start just chasing rabbits every time someone that's only here for a short time is going to breeze in and try to tell us how it's done, and if we don't do it, they don't like us, or there's something wrong with that church, or they don't, they don't, uh, they don't want to take ideas. In other words, we're not doing what we do to please people. If you've been living your Christian walk with the hopes that you're going to make more friends and everybody like you, then you're going to be disappointed a lot. I've had more people. I don't know that I really had any enemies that I can think of. There was a time when I was running from the Lord, and I had, they had good reason for me to be their enemy. But you know what? I've had more hurtful enemies since I've been serving the Lord, and especially in ministry. People that I think you're bulletproof because you wear the title pastor. And you should be able to shoulder it so I can just tell you what all I think is wrong with the church. And they don't realize that even though I shouldn't, I often take everything on my shoulders as everything that goes wrong is my fault. Even if it fell on people, I still think from my time at Walmart, one thing God taught me is you're better off to take it on your shoulders and look as you had some opportunity to do something different about it than to start blaming people. Start saying, well, it's their fault church isn't doing this it's their fault the church isn't growing you have to ignore the critics what we're doing here is pleasing the lord and and there are going to be some people who say that's awesome i see god in you i see god in that work i see what he's doing i admire that i'm inspired by that and there's other people who are going to say you're a bigot you don't love everybody remember the passion of the christ mel gibson like him or lump him whatever i have to appreciate at least that he put his own money in to try to do uh, a lot better rendition than Charlton Heston, a bunch of English accent people. You know, he, he tried to at least give us a, a better image of what it was like at the time. And there's a lot of Jewish critics that said, you're anti-Semite, and, and you're just creating more hatred of the Jews. And he endured a lot of that. It was all over the media. He, uh, Diane Sawyer, I think it was, grilled him in an extra-long interview about, about all those topics, and he had to sit there and face that and, and literally, they even went to his dad, who had some different views on him, and tried to drive a wedge between him and his dad. And I saw him get mad and said, that's my dad. You need to leave it alone. That's my dad. Other people are going to say, you're a goody two-shoes, or you're a fake. And it goes on, whether they slander or praise us. You're going to have people who are going to talk about you because you love Christ. And if they're going to talk bad about Christ, they're going to talk bad about you. Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they hated me, they will hate you. In other words, we get really bent out of shape about the liberal, conservative, Christian versus um, ISIS and whatever and this and that when we realize you're taking it personal, but it's all about Christ. You've you got to get, get rid of the big head thinking this is really about you. It's really about Christ. And they're rejecting him and they're hating him. And we stand with him and the scripture says we should count it a privilege. Bring it on. You call me a bigot. I know my heart and God knows my heart. 
You, you call me uh, racist, bring it on. God knows my heart. Go ahead. Anybody remember Dallas Holm? I didn't use this first service. Dallas Holm, Christian singer. I need to school some of the younger people. I need to play some Dallas Holm sometime in service. He sang a song, and I don't sing, so it says, go ahead, mock my name. The day will come when you will see, because I'll rise again. Ain't no power on earth going to hold me down. It goes through talking about it's Jesus. It's a, it's a song from Jesus saying, go ahead, mock my name. And spit in my face, do all those things, because one day you're going to see God is our avenger. So Paul says some people are going to say, man, they're awesome, examples of Christ, and others are going to say, no, they're not. And it goes on. We are honest, but they call us imposters. I'm sure most everybody in this room knows what it's like to be called a fake. You're a fake. You're a big fraud. That church you go to, it's a fake. It's a fraud. I've seen your pastor tooling around on that motorcycle. I remember seeing him around town. We had beads in his beard, and he wasn't the pastor. And you're saying that's a real church? I'm not going to go there because they're a bunch of hypocrites. See, everybody seemed to know that was coming. Here's an interesting thing. In the Greek, hypocrites was used for people who are in plays, basically putting on a mask and playing a part. And so that comes from that root. And so uh, that's what people are going to say about Christians, that they're being fake, they're being frauds. And there are people who are going to say that about you. And you can't let it embitter your heart. Or get you to react. It's like I taught, teach, you know, you, we teach our kids. I've taught my boys. Bully in the schoolyard. When they draw that line, tell you to step across it, don't step across it. They're just going to keep drawing lines. Uh, either they're going to call you on it, they're probably going to punch you, which is why would you step across the line to get that, or they're going to keep drawing lines, right? Don't react. Some people might be saying New Songs Church Ministry is a fake. Look how long they've been in that building. They keep saying that they're going to build one day. Uh, it's a phony. It's a fraud. Paul's saying that's a part of it. We shouldn't be surprised by that. In fact, Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. Thank the Lord I don't have that problem. I feel pretty good about myself reading Paul's words because I don't have everybody saying good things about me. They think that it's not getting back to me. It does. It's just I don't react. I mentioned this for a service. There's one time when someone told me a few months after the risk, but they said, hey, this one person's going to come to the service. They're going to interrupt the service, and they're going to let you have it. They're going to interrupt you while you're preaching, and they're going to tell you everything is wrong with you. And that was like three months after it was supposed to happen. And they said, I'm sorry, I probably should have told you. So I said, I wouldn't have done anything different. Holy Spirit takes care of things like that. I don't have to do anything about that. They could stand up in the church, and it's going to make them look really bad for one. I'm not going to get many friends doing that. God, God knows where my heart's at. But I think that I find that really, really interesting. It, it, it goes on, it says, we are ignored even though we are well known. See, it's like those things you see, not so much in Centerton, we have a great mayor who really shines a light on what the churches are doing, but in a lot of communities, that's hidden. James River, before they had some of the news media going to their church, I remember times when they'd go in and do an extreme makeover on a public school, spend their money, have their resources, their people do it, and it didn't make it to the news. Who wants to talk about the church doing anything good, right? They could be truly impacting the community, and there's times when you see the powers that be, the power brokers of, this, of our societies, um, we're the big unknown. You can do a lot of peop things that, that people uh, benefit from, and it seems like it never happened, like they don't care. 
2 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 8-9, through 9, it goes on, we live close to death, but we're still alive. Basically, you haven't killed us yet. New Song's still here. There was five attempts by the Assemblies of God before New Song to plant a church in Centerton that all failed. And we lost our first founding pastor that everybody loved with a year, year and a half into the church plant. And we are moving forward. That is not a testament to us. That is God and his power working through us. So this is Paul's list. It doesn't matter how nice you are. There are going to be some people who are not going to like you, and you have to accept it as part of serving him, count it as joy. Fifth thing, as we try to wrap it up here, things are seldom as they appear. And Paul's not meaning that in the cynical sense, but more if I can use the word mystic sense. He's more saying there are things you don't see that's happening, and you have to just rest in that. The supernatural is at work. The supernatural church, the superpowers of the supernatural church are always at work because the Holy Spirit is moving in it and it's active and God's word is living and breathing. So um, Paul said, uh, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. So we fix our eyes not on what's seen but unseen. Why? Because the seen is temporary. It's just passing. It's here one day and gone the next. The unseen is eternal. Spiritual realities are greater the greater realities. And Colton, forgive me for using this example. Yesterday, gun show. Me and Colton go. And there's a guy who is selling a bunch of different stuff. Some of it just looks like junk to me. But he has these little glass things that have supposedly gems under them. Big diamond looking things, right? And rubies and all kinds of stuff. Ten bucks a pop. So I'm not there. Colton asks, are these real? Oh, they're real stones. Until I walk over and Colton's ready to buy one, the guy says, oh, you don't want to spend your money on that, son. You, you need to put it in like real silver or something like that that's going to uh, gain, gain value. I had to tell him, I said, Colton, your sign is the guy is there to sell and make money, but yet when I'm there, something in his conscience says, no, 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 don't buy this from me. It's the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying anything about me. But I know that daily the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me and walking with me. And I'm not saying he's not with my son, but the guy had a moment where he thought he might take advantage, right? And I walk up in the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He's like, oh, no, I can't take your money. You will let these Jedis pass. <laughs> right? You like Star Wars? The Holy Spirit working your life is nothing. I mean, it, that's nothing on what the Holy Spirit has. You get into those situations where it's like, you will not sell this to my son. God is protecting our resources for the ministry. <laughs> you know? All right. I, I'd love to give examples, but we gotta, we got to move on. So anyway, our heartaches, 2 Corinthians 6.10, our heartache, uh, but we still have joy. Here's the thing. In ministry, if you really get into ministry, especially in pastoral role or something, especially counseling, you're going to spend the majority of your time hearing the heartaches of people and the broken hearts of people and the sickness and the death and all that. And if you don't think for a minute that that's not going to cause you some depression in the natural, you got another thing coming. But here's the amazing thing. With all that, I counted a joy. Why? In the natural, it would not be. You know, there are psychologists and counselors who are on medication themselves, right? If they are not believers and don't have the help of the Lord. But I count a joy. I come in one service and spend one moment in communion and fellowship with you, 
praising God corporately together, and my heart is mended, my spirit is lifted, and the joy is unspeakable and full of glory. The idea is that all we have is Christ to give. We're nothing but a beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Christ has everything. We have nothing. We're only offering what's been offered to us. And so we're going to break here uh, because we're over time. Uh, But next week, this will become three sermons now. Next week, um, the third thing Paul addresses is the fourth, in the fourth letter, we said the call of the ambassador. Today was the credentials. Next week will be the compassion. The compassion of the ambassador. What we learn today is the things it takes to be an ambassador, even the trials, are good for us and obtainable. Being an ambassador for Jesus will require sacrifice. We also learned that who we are is as important as what we say. God is helping us, so it's not on our own. No matter how nice you are, there are going to be people who don't like you, and things are seldom as they appear. Now here's what I want to end, is a prayer and a call to action. On the information table that's uh, right next to the couch back there, the small table, there's a clipboard. On it has a place for name, first, last, phone number, and email. And then there's a section where it's areas you could serve. And I'm going to throw down the challenge today. I asked a week before last to pray about this. Even if you don't know where God wants you to serve, I want you to take a step of faith. And if you feel God's prompting to put your name down, and your contact information. And I'm going to begin to pray with those who put their names down that God will help you find your fulfillment in ministry through New Song. If he's placed you here, that's where he wants you to be doing ministry. You may have something outside of New Song too, and New Song may support that, and that may be all that God has planned in your relationship with New Song. And God is good with that, I'm good with that. But there are many who you need to find your place in ministry. And you need to settle in. God's landing you here and you're fighting against something that is just going to keep being a fight until you give in. Not because I'm pressuring you, because the Holy Spirit has. So I'm going to challenge you to put your name down there. If you, if you don't this week, since now the sermon's going on the next week, you'll have another opportunity. But, but don't pass up it. Don't squander from the last message. Don't squander the opportunity God's given you. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, the power in your name, Jesus that we speak your name with authority when we know you and serve you. And God, uh, the demons tremble. God, uh, mountains are moved by faith, Lord, in you. God, the sick are healed. The lame walk and leap. God, the blind see. And God, your people are called into service. Lord, we pray this would be a supernatural church. It would contain the superpowers that you give us. Lord, help us to serve and be willing to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you. Thank you for being patient with me going 15 minutes over today. And uh, look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at 630.